Welcome back inside the Verge Studios for another episode of Pardon Our Promotion. How you doing today, Bob? I'm doing very well. It's the holiday season. Yeah. Decorating, cold. Do you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. You? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Very yeah. good. What do you feel like talking about today? Let's talk about mascots. Okay. All right. And mascot sketches. All, teams are always challenged with that, you know, so uh, how to not only monetize their mascot, you know, uh, but just, you know, how to portray them, you yeah. know, throughout the games. Who's going to help us talk about that? Old buddy of mine. Yeah. John Epsey. Yeah. John, how are you doing today? How you guys doing? I'm doing amazing. Welcome to the Verge Studios. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. What, uh, what's your background here? Why, why do you want to come in and why, why are we having you come on and talk about this? Because you guys paid me. <laughs> <laughs> Not very much. We'll add yeah, that. Did, did you get that $5 Starbucks gift card? Thank you so much. No. No, uh, I was, uh, I mascotted for 30 years, um, minor league for a while, and then uh, with the Utah Jazz for 25. Nice, nice. So you got some experience um, in the field, in the industry. Um, how did you meet Bob? Uh, both performing um, back okay. when he was doing the Blues Brothers act. And uh, it, it was awesome because when they would come in, I always look forward to those guys coming in because they'd arrive and they'd come into the cage. We'd all sit and talk and um, I wouldn't plan anything for the night until they got there. And I kid you not, on the day of, we could create a skit and go out and, and perform it. I mean, it, it was awesome. But that takes people with, you know, like those guys that were, one, willing to work with a mascot, two, creative, and three, just, you know, good guys and funny. So but you, you, forgot, you forgot brilliant. You and and good-looking guys, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so didn't we meet in um... – like South Dakota or North Dakota, I can't remember. Before you, we met before you went to the Jazz, right? Where were you before you went to the Jazz in the minors? I was at the Fargo Fever, yeah. the Winnipeg Thunder, and the Sioux Falls Sky Force, and I think it was the Sioux Falls Sky Force. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, that's where. That, <laughs> and, yeah, and you got your, you kind of before you even became a mascot, weren't you in gymnastics or something prior to that, or did you just learn on the fly? I learned on the fly. I, I was actually, so I, I was, I got a job at the Fargo Feet, at the, gee, the Fargo Fever, at the American Gold Gymnastics. And they were a show gymnastics team. And I lied on my application because I was a poor college kid and I needed a job. And I said I was a gymnast and I would go in and I would just sit and watch what everybody else was doing. And I, but, but I learned, that's how I learned when I got there, I was just teaching myself how to tumble and how to do acrobatics. Now, when you got to the Jazz, because I, you got to fill me in, because I, I probably tell the wrong story. But weren't didn't the Jazz hire you to actually create the mascot in the first place? Yep. Oh, okay, so you developed the the bear. Yep. There was we had a bunch of different options. We had well, we had like they called it the Jazzmanian Devil instead of you know off of Bugs Bunny the Tasmanian Devil, and then the other option was a uh, black cat, you know, like a black panther because. Utah came out of New Orleans, um, but we stuck with the bear because we wanted to kind of distance ourselves from that whole New Orleans feel. So we went with, you know, uh, an animal that's native to the mountains. Got it. That makes sense. So on another little bit of trivia, how many bones have you broke uh, being a mascot for the Utah Jazz? Uh, 
Zero? Zero. What? Are you kidding I, me? I, no, I swear to you, that's because I was born on a farm and I drank whole milk. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I just tear a lot of stuff. Like, I don't know if you can see that. Like, I, I've... Show that again. Back. Wait a second. Show that finger. That's a good-looking finger. Oh, right there. yeah. <laughs> oh, my then, gosh. Tore my bicep on this one, tore my bicep on this one, Duncan, and both hamstrings. Cat, I mean, I've just I've just injured myself a lot and a lot of surgeries, shoulder surgeries, back surgeries, hernia, but uh, never broke a bone. Okay. All right. See, I, I had the trivia wrong. And any of aspiring mascots out there, just know it isn't that dangerous. It's just John's a wild man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say one thing. Just it's not worth it, whatever you guys are thinking, because I remember back in the day, it was always like you're in the moment and it was like, oh, this is going to be great. And, and I just felt like, you know, because you get I was so attached to the job and so committed that I, I accepted the risks. And I'd always joke about when I get to be 60, you know, my body's going to suck and I'd laugh it off. But yeah, man, it sucks. <laughs> if I had to go back, I don't know if I would do all that stuff again. Well, you did some cr pretty crazy things, the toboggan going down the stairs. Yeah, and, like what? Like what, what, yeah, what kind of crazy stuff? Yeah, like, why, why don't you fill us in on some of your stunts, if you will? Give me an injury. Yeah. An injury? Um, <laughs> like I remember, uh, I mean, you know, really, I mean, like sledding down the stairs. Uh, I remember I was going down and I tried to, I don't know what I was thinking, because I thought of it halfway down the stairs. I thought if I sh shove off on the sled, I can jump up and I can try and surf it because I would go down to my belly <laughs> and I shoved. And the second I shoved, that sled went like this and I tumbled uh, head over heels. And on the video, you see my head hit the corner of the stair and my body coming over my head. And I remember seeing a flash of light and oh, I don't man. remember waking up until I hit the floor. And on video, you just see me swimming. There were so many times that, like another time I was coming out of the ceiling upside down and I would come in um, on a, a rappel back before they stopped us from doing it. But I always had a static line. And on a static line, the rope doesn't stretch. So I'm coming in upside down and I would break and I would stop, you know, this far from the floor. And then one night, my guy that hooks up the rope decided to put he didn't find his static rope and put in a dynamic rope and a dynamic rope stretches so i'm you know zipping in i hit the rope and i smacked mm. right into the floor head first just like this and i remember i woke up and i looked around and they were like almost finished with <laughs> with the intros and in my head i'm just like what the heck just happened and i'm looking around and Dude, I could have probably laid there until tip-off. Nobody was going <laughs> to And then everybody thought it was part of the bit. And I was like, no, I was freaking knocked out. It was it was crazy. You know that? And actually, there's our first thing about mascots, because we can just key off of what you just said. Everybody thought it was part of the bit. The, the interesting thing about no matter when you're performing, if you if you put a great big ta-da at the end or I meant to do that, the audience is like, oh, yeah, I guess that was part of the skit. Yeah. No, it, it always had. Well, you know, the, the one thing, though, that I liked, um, you guys remember Andy Kaufman, right? Mm hmm. The comedian. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I loved his type of humor because you never knew if it was real or if it was fake. And that's what I loved. And that's what I always tried to emulate. I mean, there's so many bits out that that people would be like, you know, was that real or was that fake? And, and I loved when they couldn't tell. Because I felt like I didn't, I did it right. I, you know, 
like uh, I'm trying to think. Of, there's one a long time ago. You know, one of my first ones. I had a guy in a Mavericks jersey, and it's never been done. I mean, it was just it, I loved it when. So I had a guy run out on the floor, and he had a sign that said "Jazz suck," and he was running, and I didn't tell anybody about it except for two security guards. And I said, "Listen, he's going to run out on the floor, and I'll pay you twenty bucks each if you catch him." Then I went to my guy and I'm like, listen, Ryan, <laughs> you run, do not let them catch you. I'm going to hit you. I go, but I'll pay you 20 bucks if you don't get caught. And all of a sudden he hits the floor running. And what I loved about it is the natural reaction. Because, Bob, you know, when you tell people and there's a lot of people involved, everybody starts to act instead of just doing the natural Correct. thing. Correct. And it just was so natural. And, you know, when I smashed him at center court and the crowd went crazy and then, at, you know, they started hauling him off and I had to run out and say, no, 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 no. It was, it was a skit. So I, I love those moments when everybody thought it was real. And it, but it, the whole thing was set up. It's also kind of fun because you're working with the staff. And if you can hold that secret from the staff, they get a great big kick out of it as well because they, they didn't know it was coming as well so that, those secrets are great except I got a story so because I did that so much <laughs> I remember I was walking the railing and I remember seeing this person come by me and it was really weird because there it, it didn't look like they were just slowly walking down the stairs to get to a seat they were walking with a purpose and I remember I kind of looked back and I was going and then I, I jumped off and I looked again and sure as hell, this guy goes rolling right onto the floor, across the court, right into the huddle and Jerry Sloan is standing there. And and I, it was, so, and because of everything that I had done and never really telling anybody and my skits, all the security, I looked and his name is Ron Jensen and he looked at me like, is this a skit? <laughs> <laughs> So nobody jumped him, nobody stopped him because they thought it was just part of my bit. And then Jerry Sloan ended up grabbing him and and it was like it was like chaos. And I remember just standing there going, I'm gonna be in trouble. And even though I didn't do it, <laughs> it, was just, <laughs> it was because I had done that so much that security didn't stop him. So but I remember that. And I remember Jerry Sloan grabbing him and shoving him out of the huddle and he's looking around for security and then all the security come in and yeah, it was Kind of a mess. You know, I'm going to bring up a memory of my, mine working with you. And earlier on, you said how it was creative and it was always fun for us to come to the jazz because the same thing. We would always have to spend an extra hour, Scott, because because <laughs> he'd be like, of course, he's been doing a, a skit a day for years. So he's mm -hmm. so he's actually leaning on us. What the hell you want to do today? You know, we got to come up with something. You know, so he pretty much just mail it in until we got there, and we'd come up with stuff. You know, and but one of my favorite ones was, uh, you know, how the mascots in the NBA like to jump over celebrities mm -hmm. and, and do a slam dunk. Um, and so we did that, and, and it's you know whoever the celebrity is, he had jumped over him, and, you know, off the tramp, over the top, slam dunk. Everyone gets a round of applause. Well, he stood, stood us out there. We we had done our halftime show or whatever in the third quarter or something. We'd come out, and he grabs us, all set up, takes us over. We're standing there. But we had, we had of course, practiced earlier because that's another piece of a mascot skit. So we're going to – is you have to plan it, 
you have to execute it and we'll get into the punchlines and all that, but you, you definitely have to practice it a few times. Sure. So he, he does his usual thing where he's like showing everybody what's going on and, and um, getting us lined up to jump, dunk over. And there's a crash mat behind us. So, but when he jumped over the top of us, we grabbed his legs. <laughs> so we just went sideways, we grabbed his legs and we yanked him right down out of the, out of the sky and just slammed him down under the mat. Um, and, and the whole crowd, of course, was like, oh, oh, the whole crowd does that. And so then he gets up and he's acting all dizzy. And as he acts up dizzy, I grab the ball. Billy, my Blues Brothers partner, hits him in the stomach, fake hits him, yeah. but he bends over. And as he bends over, I go off his back and I dunk. Nice. And nice. the crowd went crazy at that point in time. Yeah, so that was, that was one of my favorites that we did together. We did a lot of fun, fun ones together, though. Every time you guys came in, we did something. I mean, and you guys came in every year. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. a, it was fun. And, and those are the moments that I, I really cherished and loved when I think back on those because as a mascot, you end up <clears throat> doing a lot of stuff on your own. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's always kind of fun. You know, I'm more of a team sports guy. But it was always fun when we would do something and it went off really well. And then in the back, we could sit and laugh and talk about it, you know? Right. Um, the other thing that Bob was saying is something that I learned back then working with them is, you know, we would do the skit and I know that we'd practice, but we wouldn't over practice. Um, I think something that I learned early on, and I remember I was in Phoenix one year and I, and they practiced and practiced and practiced and they, they practiced so much that I remember going out on the court and, you know, Bob, you know, Scott, you know, live entertainment, it's live. I mean, you can never guarantee that something isn't going to happen. Well, sure enough, something happened. But we had practiced so much that when something didn't go right, we didn't know what to do. We couldn't have lived. We were just so stuck on this is what's supposed to happen. So we ended up, or so what I did is I took that, or took a, what I took away from that was I would always, and I had a, an amazing on-court uh, host. His name was Alan Handy. And I would always say, okay, I'm going to go out. This is what we're gonna, you know, start with. This is how it has to end, and we've pretty much ad lib through the middle. I mean, I knew, yeah. but I loved the honest reactions. And I know that when Bob and Bill would come in, you know, we would perform, but we wouldn't over, over, you know, practice because I mean, there was a ton of times, Bob, and you know that it never worked, and all of a sudden we would just impromptu, you know, we would do spontaneous stuff. And I, I'm telling you, if I ever look back over my years. Some of the best stuff was the ad lib stuff that happened because the skit didn't go right. Yep. And and it was awesome. I mean, I think those are the best times. But you do have to hit your marks, you know what I mean? Because um, I, I agree with that, that ad libbing, in, in fact, it can embellish a skit quite fast. But, you know, where the camera is, where the audience yep. is, you know, where this uh, proper supply is, where the where the little talent, the little, the little kid is that's joining the skit, where yep. those things have to kind of be in place yep. for those all those moving pieces to work. Um, but you're right. After that, you can you can especially yeah, which you can embellish and have fun with the skit. And when you're having fun with that skit, the audience has fun with you. It's all about the journey, right? It's how we got from point A to point B. We we know, but it's how, it's how we get there that that's the funny part, right? right. And, and we're spe now speaking of funny parts, you know, that the thing I just said where we pulled him down onto the mat, mm -hmm. that was the right turn. I always call it the right turn, where you take an audience down 
a certain path and then you just a hard left or a hard right and that's when they either laugh or they cheer or they boo or whatever and those are the you know, little idiosyncrasies of a great skit so how did you come up with those john when you when you're planning skits where you're like okay how am i gonna put the pizzazz at the end of this thing um you, you know I, I wasn't ever a real big fan <clears throat> of a lot of times guys, you know, like they would do something and then somebody get chased off the floor and it was like, there's your ending. Or I always, like a lot of my skits always ended where you were like, was that real or was that not real? You know, and there, and it, and I, and I, I never really had that, you know, ta-da at the end. And I, I always just kind of let it hang. Um, you know, like the Wes Locker, you remember Wes Locker? He was the old mascot in Miami a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, Bernie. and I remember sitting there, and I copied this skit a number of times. But he was—he, this is where I got it from. So he was out dunking, and then um, right at the timeout, a ball boy comes out, and it would never happen. But people don't know that. But he was out there cleaning the floor with a bucket of water. There was a spot or something. You could see him trying to kick it with his foot. Well, then Bernie's trying to get him to move. Well, the kid and him kind of get in a confrontation. Well, Bernie picks up the water. And they start kind of circling a little bit. And as the kid's running off the floor, Bernie chucks or yeah, Bernie chucks the water, and there's an officer standing there. And this cop just gets boosh, hit with this water. <laughs> and it's and I remember, I mean, you know, I'm a mascot and I'm sitting in the crowd going, Oh my hell. <laughs> I mean, I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And it I, and it was great. And I love that type of humor where, you know, it's not comical you know like that whole you know da, 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 you know and you run off the floor i i loved how it just kind of ended and everybody had that moment of like holy hell you know what's gonna happen but you, you never find out but it's i love those type of things so i never really you know had an, an, an ending in mind that it was always it was always an extreme thing and i had to think you know um outside the box a lot because back in the day you know, I had to skit every game, and a lot of mascots did. So it was kind of hard. I remember when I first started, I even had two skits. So you start to run out of ideas. But in today's world, and Bob, you might have seen this now, is um, there? You know, we it was all about entertainment and family and all this other stuff. And, and I'm just saying, on my part, is from what I see and from what I'm hearing, there's not many mascots out on the court doing skits anymore it's all about social media and TikTok and stuff. So that it's it's kind of changed a little bit in the whole approach to, you know, a mascot, you know, where our time was on the court and our time was in the crowd. Now it's all about social media. You I see just, that, Bob? I think, and before you answer, sorry, I, th- I just think it's people don't know how to utilize their mascots properly anymore. They It's too easy to just give them an appearance or put them on social media and check the box. Like, um, you know, we need to promotion staff, entertainment staff need to do a better job of utilizing them in game because there's no reason that the skits or any of that should go away. It's, yes. You know, it's I agree. Like, yeah. I agree. And, and it, it, there has been a trend. There's been a trend to social media in a lot of areas in, in, um, in sports product uh, promotions. But the interesting thing that uh, a buddy of mine says it really doesn't move the needle. It used to move the needle. Social media used to move the needle. Move the needle, but now I just uh, I, I think that that we, we have to go old school and we have to go back to actually entertaining those those 
fans while they're there because yeah, they can get on TikTok and see all kinds of funny things, but then they'll go to a sporting event and be bored out of their mind. Right. And but sporting events are still great places to go. And and I think it was Mark Cuban that said, um, I want to get the people to look up from their phones. So he tries the Mavericks. Now I haven't seen that, but that's one of one of his little. Uh, he, he wrote a little blur, uh, blog on it that he said, "I want I want them looking at the court. I want them looking at the video board. I don't want them looking at their phones and stuff." So it's it's it, it's I don't know if it's back to where it should be, but um, but that's why you know we we put you on the show because of your uh, history, your thirty year history. So well, and and you know something else is. Um, I remember a change happened as well back when Jumbotron started to get big. Do you remember when? So back in the day, I remember at the, at the Jazz, we had just those tiny little Jumbotrons, and you could barely see. So everybody, nobody ever really looked up at the Jumbotron except to see the score, and then they, they'd watch the floor the whole time. And I remember I could run out on the court, and I could hold up a sign, I could do whatever, but everybody was tuned into the floor. And um, once we got the big Jumbotron, I remember running out and holding up sign and nobody would be saying any or cheering or anything. And I realized if I'm not on the jumbotron, nobody's seeing me. Mm. So we had to make a whole rule that, you know, if I hit the floor, the jumbotron has to hit me. You know what I mean? That's why they'd always be like, okay, go out. And I'd be looking at the jumbotron. I said, no, because you guys are still running either a commercial, a video or whatever. I said, you know, when that's over and that jump and that camera can hit me, I'll run out. But, I never ran out if there was something on the board. You know, and that's a really good rule of thumb because there's a lot of mascots and the miners, especially, that overexpose themselves. Um, and that's not a politically incorrect thing to say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they're not exposing themselves. They're overexposing themselves. Even and, and so the uh, so and while well, there was a, a one mascot that ended up on TMZ a few years ago, that uh, but we'll we'll set that aside. Okay. <laughs> But but the point is, is they're out too often, and when they're out too often, their effect is is lessened exponentially. So they have to go out. They have to make the big, uh, you know, that's what the the Blues Brothers, when we used to perform, we would make the big entrance, we'd make the big exits, and you have a big impact when you're out there. Otherwise, you just you get old and people get tired of you. Sure. Ap- apathy sets in quick. Yeah, no, I mean, and you nailed it. I mean, that's just like at any event that you do outside the arena even, is a lot of mascots they go out there and and like it's i'm just basically concurring with you here but you know you always want to leave them wanting more you know you, a lot of times and i see that happen a lot is mascots just go out there with nothing to do and they're just out there and it's like in my you know my world back then is if i didn't have something to do i wasn't on the court i mean otherwise i'm just a guy in a suit standing there mm-hmm. and i hated that you know because i remember i'd go do college shows and um, around the country and the mascots would always come in and you know hey can you watch me and I'd watch them and that was always what I said is I said I go when I was watching you all you did was stand by the basket I go if you're not going to do something just don't be standing I go either leave the floor or come up with something to do I go otherwise you're just a, you're just a guy in a suit standing there and anybody could do that you know that's right so and that even goes, we, we talked about it, I think, on an earlier uh, podcast about the fact that even the people that work for the teams, they're not in the costumes, but they have the, the uh, logo on their shirt. They're always on as well. And so if they're, yeah. walk, if they're standing there looking at their phone 
it shows that they're not interested in their game or the fans or whatever they're around. Everybody is part of that show. Everyone's part of the whole event. And so if you're, even as a front office person, if you're out there, you have to be shaking hands or talking to somebody or be on, you know, and be have a smile on your face or whatever. But, but yeah, because that, that people are watching no matter what. So what happens with mascots has to happen kind of system wide in front offices. Yeah. And, and something else with that, Bob, is is exactly what you said. Is and I have seen it happen where those game op directors or you know um, uh, game operation staff. Um, I think I just said that, but what would happen is uh, something would happen that wasn't supposed to. And instead of going in the back out of the way of people, they would show their frustration in the corner. And it was like, you just opened up, you know, cause seriously, 80, 90% of the time, even though something didn't go right on the court, the fans don't know, only the people that were putting it on. Correct. But they'll know the second you're upset, yelling at a dancer, a mascot or whoever, they know something wrong happened, you know? But that's why, that's another thing is I've always seen is, you know, if I'd always, if I did something wrong, somebody would start saying something and I would just go, oh, I'd always, and I'd be like, in the back, you know, because <laughs> I don't want anybody to see that, yeah, we screwed up. It, it, it We can talk about it in the back out of the way, but I, there's a lot of times I've seen that and um, they need to know that it needs to happen in the back. Like land on your head in the middle of the floor. Um, yeah, and, nobody, yeah, you know what's funny? Nobody <laughs> even said anything. Like, I was like, I, All right. I actually talked to Luke, my old assistant, and I was like, hey, man, if that ever happens again, I'm not joking. <laughs> that, that really, I'm out. So we're going to, this has been fun, and I think we could even have a part two because it's been so fun talking with you about it. But I do want to, Scott might have a question, but I have one for you. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Do you have any, like, favorites? You know, people always ask me, oh, where's your favorite city that you ever went to? But is do you have a favorite skit or favorite sketch or even one that went totally sideways other than the ones you just told me that you kind of remember from your three decades? Wow. You know, you know, and, and Bob, you, you got to know this. When when it comes to that many years, you know, performing, you know, there's there's so many. And, and to just pick one, would I might as well just throw a dart. I yeah. mean, oh, just come up with one. Kind of yeah, I mean, like, or is it, or is it that landing on your head? You've just forgotten everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and I'm dead serious. I, I would say, Bob. I mean, a lot of my skits that I enjoyed the most were working with you guys, or working with other halftime teams that came in. But you guys were actually more interactive, you know, um, and did stuff. But it was great doing that. Um, and one skit that I love, and I'm going to let it out of the bag here, but. And it's been seen millions and millions of times. You know the one where the guy dumps a beer over my head? It's it's kind of gone viral. Yeah, go ahead. Every, uh, yeah. I bet you it's been 15 years since I've done it. That was a bit. And I tell everybody it wasn't, you know. But that was another one where the cops went, ushered the guy out, and, you know, we had to hurry up, run up, and tell him it was a skit. I mean, that was a great one. When it comes to stunts, you know, uh, riding a professional bull and probably doing a one-armed handstand on top of a 25-foot ladder. Th those are those are what stand out. Other than that, mascotting in general, I just love being in the crowd and I love doing uh, charity work in the community. Yeah. What would you say? Um, you know, as your as we s start talking to our future generation of mascots and entertainers, um, you know, one of the biggest struggles I've had was hiring 
a mascot actor and and giving them proper instruction and it's it's just such a hard thing to execute in a meaningful way so I, I don't know if there's one piece of advice or just something that over you know over your 30 years that you found to be more uh, prevalent, something top of mind when you're mascotting, a rule of thumb, a best practice, if you will. If you got one thing to, to say to the future mascotters out there, what would it be? Uh, I know that's have enough. To be one too. <laughs> <Sorry>. No. <clears throat> okay. So I guess how I look at it is I look back in the day in the 90s, late 90s and stuff, and was the pinnacle of mascotting. I felt like, you know, a lot of guys in the leagues um, were just performing well. And, and there were some things to pick up. One is the teams or the mascots that did really well, um, the teams never tried to manage it. I mean, they put input and stuff, but they didn't try to drive it. You hired that guy for a reason. Let him mm -hmm. do it. The other one is, you know, let him go out and, you know, prove he can do what you guys want him to do. Um, third is the other thing that you saw with the mascots that were very popular is they were like their own show, like the, the, the jazz. Like when I would go out, I would tell them, I want dancers or I don't want dancers. Or if they said, you know, hot time out, everybody out. I never went out. I let everybody go out. And at the last 20 seconds or so, I would run out to get the crowd to cheer. I I never wanted to be just part of the entertainment. I, I was, you know, I, I always looked at it as <clears throat> I was my own entity and for the crowd to, like I was the conductor and, I, and for them to have respect in you. The other thing is as a game ops guy or woman director, um, just don't send out your mascot because you don't have anything to do. Because you think, oh, look, I'm, I'm doing something, but what you're really doing is you're wrecking his credibility if it's not a good time to go, you know, because there was a number of times where they would be like, hey, go out on the court. And I'm like, we're down 15. Nobody's going to cheer because there's two minutes left. We all know we're going to lose. Yeah. So I always came up with, I had cold timeouts, medium timeouts, and hot timeouts. And everybody had the list and we'd all go through it. But they all, after a while, understood that, listen, you know, for as long as I've been in the league, they trusted me. They knew that I wasn't just going to go out there and make a fool of myself. If I was going out there, there was a purpose. How was that? That's beautiful. And, and I'm going to add to that because you said you're your own entity. And, you know, especially in the minor league sports, the players move fast through the, you know, there's player changes all the time. They have a brand and they have a mascot. And those are the two big things. And so the mascot, when, it's, when that mascot is his own entity, he can be such a force for public yeah. opinion and, and reaction and all that be, if they're, if it's done right and it's not overused right. and everything that we just talked about over the last, you know, 25 minutes or so. So, yeah, to focus on that and say, you know, this is a powerful part of our brand and it has to be treated that way. Yeah. And you did a great job when you were at the Jazz. Go ahead. Can I say one more thing? And sure. Just to jump on your back on that is <clears> – <throat> Back in the day, I think that they looked for the right person to be a mascot. And I feel like in today's market, they're just like, yeah, but he'll do it for 25 grand. You know what I mean? There's yeah. qual more qualified mascots or people to do it, but this guy's cheaper. And it's like, you get what you pay for. Yep. And, and that's the only thing I can say. Yeah, that, and that's, I do see that more often than not. And that's 
very insightful that this is, you know, the mascot is uh, a huge part of your show if you treat it that way. If you don't treat it that way, then it won't be. So, um, and they have the power to really um, do a lot of good things for the entertainment. John, it was awesome having you on. I, I mean, I think, like Bob said, we could probably talk for another at least two shows worth of worth of stuff here. Um, I'm in. <laughs> and it might be. Um, before you go, I think I want to see your finger again. I just want to see that pinky <laughs> one more time. Oh, there that is that nuts. Way. There you go. Dude. Leave that with I, you. I want to show you. I don't know. Well, we appreciate it, John. Thanks so much. Um, we'll get you on the show again. Bob, anything else for you? No, no. It's great having you, John. Great seeing you, too. Oh, it's good to see you. Give the family a hug, Bob. Scott, you too. I don't know if you have family. I don't really know you, but... I'll you give my family a hug for you, definitely. <laughs> All right, John, we'll see you later. Thanks, guys, for joining us today. We've got more to come uh, on the next episode. Uh, if you have any questions, post them, comment on them, send them to us. Uh, anything you'd like us to discuss, send that to us as well. Until next time, though, guys, it's all about your fans. We'll see you later.